0: ruin and i am your host the mandated reporter and frankly i'm mortified mr mark rattledge and this here is the best movie podcast on the internet why is it the best because we take sacred cows out back and shoot them in the head that's right we ain't afraid to talk about nothing (laughs) and i'll tell you right now like dusty rose i'm bad i'm a bad motherfucker okay i'll talk about anything i'll talk about bad movies i'll talk about bad people and I'm telling you right now, I've started some controversy, some controversy, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to bring on my guests in just a few minutes, but I need to preach at you. I need to talk. I need to open up the therapy and, and get the word out, see, because people have been coming to me on the Twitter and on Facebook, and they say, Mark Radlidge, where did you get the word trilogy from? There are four Terminator movies. Now there are five. Fuck you. That's not right, because here's the thing, right? Here's, here's where I'm coming from. Here's, if you, here's what I'm going to put it down so you can pick it up. There are three Terminator movies that make up one whole story. Then they started a new story with Salvation. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? The first three stories are about Sarah Connor and her struggles, her issues, trying to stop the Skynet and Judgment Day. One complete story, and it ends with their inability to stop the inevitable Judgment Day from happening. One, two, three. Salvation starts a new story post-Judgment Day about John Connor, the least interesting character in all five movies, and that includes the fucking robots. Okay, folks? John Connor, not an interesting character, and that's why Salvation fails for the most part, other than the fact that it's a terrible movie. But I'll talk about Salvation. Oh, I'll talk about Salvation all day long, just not on a podcast called The Terminator Trilogy, see? We are here tonight to celebrating the life and times, of Sarah Connor. And I'm not going to have it uh, watered down by a movie that had nothing to do with Sarah Connor, you see. So I'm not afraid. I, didn't, I wasn't this informed. I know what's up. The Terminator Trilogy with Sarah Connor. Let's do this. Fresh out the tattoo parlor like a badass mofo that he is, Mr. Sean Comer, how do you do, sir?
1: Hey everybody, I'm Sean, you're not, and we are going to leave Salvation burning on the scrap heap. And to everybody else who wants to hear us go off on an ugly rant on that, you know what, we're just going to kind of try to take the show in a little bit of a different direction. I especially know that's what a lot of people like to hear from me, but you know, we burned through most of those movies by that point. There's one or two left, and God help us, we're going to get to them. But in this case, it's just not necessary to talk about it. As I told Mark before the show, it's about as necessary to this narrative as X-Men Origins Wolverine is to the uh, combined Brian Singer and Matthew Vaughn X-Men sagas. It's a non sequitur. It's a non-issue. It's a completely failed misstep that quite frankly, is best left forgotten because, you know what, Sweetie Pies? It didn't lead to a franchise, and that's what this show is about. It's about franchises. It was supposed to be a new trilogy. It, to, quote, to quote one of my favorite lines by Nash of all time, it face-planted like it was a new Olympic sport. There's no reason for us, for us to discuss it, except for the fact that yeah, it gave us one glorious, albeit overplayed, Christian Bale meme. So if you want to watch it, you know what? Blog Talk Radio accounts are completely free. Sign up for your own account and talk about it. Quite frankly, I don't really have that much to say about it. So let's get on to talking about uh, two out of three that ain't bad at all. And uh, let's kick it off with the original James Cameron classic, shall we? All right, well, before
0: we do that, we do have a guest with us tonight. I'm going to put my normal speaking voice up. My, oh, yeah, my, yeah. Uh, When he, he is third in command when myself and Robert Winfrey are unavailable. Uh, this man started out as a super fan, and uh, he came on and started doing a podcast in his own right, and it's taken off like a rocket. Uh, he's the one that brings you the comics. Mr. Sir, at some point we need to talk about Thanos versus Hulk, because I just got finished reading that, all four issues. Here he is, folks, the host of Monday's Rattling Broadcasting Podcast, source material. This is the one, the only, Super Clutch fan, Jesse Starcher. How do you do, sir?
2: I need your clothes, uh, your boots, and your podcast. How's it going?
1: And that <laughs> guy's arm. <laughs> yes,
2: oh, that guy's indeed. leg. I'm sorry, that guy's leg. Yes, indeed. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Can't wait to talk to movies. All
0: right, let's get into this. So, 1984... Yes. Uh, brings us the original Terminator movie, directed by James Cameron, written by James Cameron and Gail Hurd, starring uh, the eventual governor of California, California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Linda Hamilton, uh, with Paul Winfield, (laughs) who who, every movie I see him in, he gets killed in some way. It's kind of (laughs) like... Um, All right, and and the original Terminator was your basic straightforward sci-fi horror uh, slasher flick. You have uh, an unkillable monster chasing a damsel in distress who is uh, is protected a hero. Uh, To expand on that a little bit, what we have is the year 2029 where... Uh, The humans are fighting a resistance war against uh, robots and computers who have taken over and have nuked the planet. And on this particular day, they win the war. And as a last-ditch effort to stop the humans from winning the war, who are led by one John Connor, the uh, operating system in control of the whole Digimaru, Skynet, who I'm now referring to as my one and is my one true God, which I'll get into later. But um, I I now pray to Skynet. <laughs> y'all have you, all have your Jesus Christ and, and your Buddha and, and whatever, whatever, and Moses or whatever it is the Jews pray to. I
2: pray, I now pray to Skynet. But I'll get into
0: Suck that later. Fuck that
1: one. noise. The singularity is a thing, kids.
2: Yeah, <laughs> if there's one thing that I could see Mark definitely believing in, and that is Skynet happening. <laughs> I'll
0: get into that in a little bit um, later in the podcast. People don't need me to get into this rant now. But um, <laughs> just follow my Facebook feed. You'll know what I'm talking about. Any case, yeah. Uh, so in a last-ditch effort to uh, save itself from its ultimate doom, uh, it sends back one of its infiltrator units, the T-800, which is on Schwarzenegger, back to 1984 to kill 19-year-old Sarah Connor before she can give birth to the eventual leader of the resistance, John Connor. Uh, John sends back his lieutenant, Kyle Reese, who is played by uh, Michael uh, Bean, Bane, Boon, Bon, And If
2: you ever ask to pronounce another name again, I'm never going to tell you what it is, because you never listen anyway. (laughs) Michael Bane. Okay, got it. Um,
0: (laughs) So... So Michael Batman Backbreaker uh, comes back in time to uh, protect Sarah from the Terminator, and what you have is your basic and you know, a horror chase thing. It's you know it's sequence kind of after sequence of this thing trying to kill her and them trying to get away from it. But and, and that's where I want to go to you guys because on its face, uh, it, it, it resembles any other sci-fi slash horror movie monster chasing chasing a gal. Um, You even get to see boobies at some point. Side boob, but boob.
1: What makes
0: the Terminator movie, the original Terminator movie, stick out so much to the point that it's generated billions of dollars, uh, fans worldwide. It's become a brand in and of its own right. It's so popular. How popular is it? It's popular that whatever studio happens to own the brand at any given time keeps trying to rehabilitate. Jesse, we'll start with you. Why did this thing become a, uh, a cultural phenomenon, in your opinion?
2: A appropriate blend of sci-fi and horror would probably be my my guess. I mean, if you look at a lot of the movies around that period of time, you have the Alien movies, uh, which you know those took off like a rocket. A lot of a lot of people enjoyed those, um, and the just like you had mentioned, the unstoppable thrill, uh, horror that continued to go on. this I just watched this movie again for the first time in a very long time, a, a few days back. and it it really pounded the whole unstoppable machine. And as far as I know, you know you didn't really see too many movies that were you know similar to that one, very unique. In which you know you had a little bit of a a whole time travel uh, you know I guess spin on things and I can't say that that was too uh, accepted or at least it wasn't prominent in a whole lot of movies that you saw prior to that and it it had it had to have taken a a a lot of I don't know. I, I guess uh, it had to have taken a lot of people by surprise at how good it was. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, I don't know. Was this Conan? I don't know if you guys know or not. Was this Conan movies prior to this? He, he started in Conan, and then he went into Terminator shortly thereafter. Is that right?
0: He's going. I'll look it up.
2: Okay. So, anyway, Arnold Schwarzenegger just coming into his prime here. Um, but, you know, I, I, I definitely... I, I remember Robert Wintry stating that it was more of a horror flick, or at least something along these lines. That it was more of a it was a, it was more horror than it was really a whole lot of sci-fi stuff. You had the great special effects, you know, you, but it was just somebody running from some unstoppable force that was trying to kill them. And every single time, in you thought, no hey, let me jump in real quick.
0: He, uh, he was actually in both Conan movies before Terminator. Um, okay. well, All right. Conan the Barbarian was 1982. Conan the Destroyer, ugh, uh, is the same year actually as Terminator. Go on.
2: Okay. Okay. But yeah, every single time that you thought that the term this is done, the Terminator's done. I mean, I, if you're watching this movie and you initially don't realize that this is a machine at the beginning, that was one of the best parts about it when they, when, uh, Michael, bing, bang, boom, shoots him and right in the chest with a shotgun. And you are sitting there like, okay, that's it. He took care of business. And then all of a sudden the thing gets up. And you're like, okay, what is going on here? What in the world am I witnessing? Um, appropriate blend of, of horror and sci-fi and action. Um, car chase, car chase, car chase. And, uh, but uh, it just, uh, that, that is what stood out to me when I first watched it.
0: How about you, Sean? What do you, um, what do you think uh, this movie, how does this movie speak to the American psyche, the American fan? What is, it, what is the big attraction here? Um, because like I said, there are so many other movies um, that it competes with, but this, this was one of the few left standing at the end of the day.
1: There's a lot we're going to talk about, but as far as the first movie is concerned, especially there's three things that I've sort of zeroed in on that are worth talking about. The first is the most simple reason why people love this movie. It's fucking cool. Honestly, the narrative, the story structure, it still holds up pretty well to this day. More or less timeless. The action is fantastically well shot, owing owing in no small part to the fact that James Cameron knows not only story to an underrated degree, but definitely also spectacle. And besides... It's man versus giant evil robot. What are you not going to love about that? (laughs) But on the more substantive front, especially when it comes to the special effects, you have to look at it and realize that for its time, it truly was part of a revolution in exceptionally high quality, uh, practical effects in Hollywood that again, to this day, even though at that time they were a lot of those effects were new and very much in their infancy and really turning heads, they still look impressive even when you're watching them now. This was a time when, immediately prior to Terminator coming out in 1984, we were getting movies like Dragon Slayer and Crawl, and to a lesser extent, Lady Hawk that were. Taking what could be done on a set with animatronics, with makeup, uh, Dragon Slayer ushered in go motion as a new effect. Thanks to thanks to the great Stan Winston. Um, about four years after this, we started getting some really impressive hand drawn morphing effects that actually, rather impressively, preceded Terminator 2. And I would go so far as to say, kind of set the stage for what that movie would accomplish. But also, at the same time, it's especially interesting to look at now because of a term that's known as the technological singularity. What is it? Well, very simply, it's a concept that dates back to 1958, and Hungarian mathematician and physicist John Van Neumann was made even more famous in 2005 when Ray Kurzweil cited the, con- the concept in a forward to von Neumann's own on both the computer and the brain and which is now believed to be to be an inevitability that is going to arrive between 2030 and 2045 in which computers computer networks and robotics are going to become so recursive that they're able to design build rebuild improve repair and generally evolve their own intelligence and technology to such a point that they ultimately far exceed human intellectual capacity and control. So, when you look at this, and you consider that this movie is only, is only a mere, uh, let's see, that would be 20, 31 year, years old now, it's actually not just fascinating, but just the slightest bit unsettling. I mean, it's one of those things where we joke, but on the other hand, anybody who has Google in their news alerts lately is well aware of what their algorithms are generating in terms of intelligent responses. I mean, sure, we laugh at the smart-ass, pithy answer that Siri gives you when you ask her to divide zero by zero, or when you ask her one too many times, what does the fox say? But... (laughs) The truth is, this is starting to get a little bit uncomfortable when it comes to man's interaction with Microsoft, Mac, and all things digital.
0: Okay, but um, well, let's get let's dig a little bit into the movie here. Uh, you know, we talked about special effects. My favorite scene, my favorite special effects scene, is by far the worst special effects scene. Probably, you know, it, it meant well. I mean, we're talking almost Ed Wood levels here. Um, where he's uh, working on his his eyeball in the mirror. I, to this day, have to call my wife out of the bedroom or wherever she is and make her rewatch that scene because it's so laughably bad. But, um, I mean, for its time, they did what they could. (laughs) Uh, But aside from that, let's look at uh, our performances here, our actors and actresses. Um, You know, Schwarzenegger as the menacing Terminator, as the unkillable monster and all of that, you know, people have people have uh derided Schwarzenegger's acting, and in some cases rightly so. I mean, he was one of the folks that absolutely ruined Batman versus Robin and his lack of a portrayal for uh Mr. Freeze. You know, and it, it's hard. He's got he's got the thick accent and he's got sort of deadpan delivery at times, but um I think the things that sort of detract sometimes from his ability to act like a normal human being in a movie were uh, absolutely played to his benefit in this. He's not given a lot of dialogue and what dialogue he is given is very straightforward. It's, you know, he's just sort of commanding things, you know, give me your clothes, that sort of, that's, that sort of thing. This is of course the first time he utters a line, I'll be back. Um, Which is funny. I was watching the interview for that. And James Cameron said, we didn't know that was going to play funny. You know, people, people were laughing before he even drove the car into the police station. Um, and of course he's, you yeah, know, he's now said it in every movie since. Um, but, uh, Jesse, will go to you first. Um, Schwarzenegger in this, uh, really does k- kill the performance, you know, in a, in a positive way. I mean, I don't, I don't know who at that time really could have done a killer robot better.
2: Yeah. Um, Man, he's so... Uh, and what's what's the word? I mean, other than robotic, that's about the only word I could think of to actually describe how how well he he handles it. Um, I mean, there's no. You almost, you know, again, that speaks to his character uh, and and what makes it so believable. Uh, that holy crap, that's a freaking robot, um, and. Slowing his speech down um, and giving those like three-word answers. I um, and that's a credit to the writing, but I'm sure you know Arnie's Arnie at the time. I'm I'm sure is going to put a little bit of his own spin on it. But again,
3: he he's acting
2: like a robot. There's no way I could do what he did in that movie. Uh, it'd take me a thousand takes to try and not. You know, not smile or act somewhat human in in that way. Uh, We got, you know, we got, he became the Terminator uh, to a lot of, you know, all the fans out there that watched this movie. Uh, And even those that didn't like the movie, he remained the Terminator after this movie was said and done. Um, It helps that there's, you know, however many more, we'll say two more that we're going to acknowledge here tonight and tonight. Uh, but it helps. There's two other movies that are out there starring him. But uh, again, he, he, he did an awesome job. Awesome job,
0: Sean. I've said
2: uh, I said during our uh,
0: Terminator Genesis review, and I've said it tonight, and I'm I'm going to restate it. I want to and I want to engage you in conversation about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this really is that the strength of the Terminator trilogy. Trilogy is the story of Sarah That John Connors <laughs> is not an big character. And I don't even feel like this is about him. I feel like this is about her. It's the, it's the journey from demure, um, ditzy, kind of, you know, can't-get-her-shit-together waitress into um, phenomenal, you know, badass, robot-killing woman. Uh, we talked last night uh, on the Terminator Genesis review, which you can find in the archives on the and Broadcasting Network, um, myself and Robert Winfrey, that, you know, she's, that Linda Hamilton, her portrayal of Sarah Connor is right up there with Ripley, and then you have Scarlett Johansson as sort of a distant third in the all-time badass women category. Um, but I think she's the most interesting character in all of these movies. And that's a credit to Linda Hamilton and her ability to play this woman who is th- jolted, thrown into this world that she at first does not understand is so far beyond her. Because when we meet her, she's, she's just, you know, she's a waitress, you know, the boyfriends are, 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 um, are uh, canceling plans with her and she talks to the lizard and she can't get a life together, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and, and she has this experience where she's nearly murdered a half a dozen times. Um, she falls in love with a guy just to see him die. And then she goes on the run because she has now this terrible burden she must carry. She has to give birth mm-hmm. to the future resistance, you know, the future leader of the human race. And in, in Judgment Day, you know, which we'll talk to more, more at length, talk about more at length, You know, she has to wrestle with And it comes up again in Genesis, as a matter of fact, that she's feeling trapped by her own fate, and she wrestles with this idea that I just want to be free. I want to be free of the fate that has befallen me. I want to be able to make choices, and I feel like they've all been taken away by this crazy future that's unfolding. Um, I think Linda Hamilton did an excellent job of wrestling with that. And really, she's the key to this whole thing. People like to say that it's Arnie. Studio executives like to say you can't have a Terminator movie without Arnie. I think to differ. If Linda Hamilton sucked, I I don't think we would be talking about the Terminator movies today. Well, what's your your thoughts here on Miss Hamilton and the Sarah Connor character?
1: Well, just a few that I can add to what was pretty much you throwing it to me for more or less a sentence after that wonderful summation. But... Really, when it comes to Linda, I'm of a couple minds. For one thing, I really believe that great chemistry is the product of people who have the right tools to bring to the table in order to play the hand they're dealt just right and get the most out of it. That's something that both she and Schwarzenegger really did remarkably well, and I feel like it goes drastically underappreciated. Just to throw it back to Schwarzenegger for just a second just for example, because he's a nice counterpoint to what Linda does. What Robert Patrick does in Terminator 2 by really manufacturing a very icy persona and very precise delivery and movement that's measured just so to create that proper impact of cold, relentless menace as the T-1000, Schwarzenegger does in a way that really made him the big big success that he was in the 80s. And that is that it was effortless with him. He barely had to try. He, He accomplishes so much with natural presence that truly there's nobody else from that time that could have been this perfect for the role. He's ideal. He's towering. He's imposing. Uh, slowing down his speech uh, seems to just take so little work on his part. He really melts right into it, which, of course, obviously, it's, that's the deceptive part, is he's really known also for being a very charismatic and often affable gentleman in real life. But here, it's just pure 100% natural exuding presence he pretty much is the cyborg on the other hand Linda as you pointed out really is the one who puts in the work to the story that you know proves that once you've seen Joseph Campbell's monomyth you can never ever truly unsee it in anything that you watch because well Most of the movie is pretty much her call to adventure prior to Terminator 2. But in this case, she really is thrown from what is a comfortable but humdrum existence into a world in which she has to be stronger than she ever knew she could be. And she has to do it instantly. There is no moment to hold back. There is no moment to figure things out or really take stock. She has to flip a switch and transition into a gear that up until the T100 and her future baby daddy stumbled into her life, she really had no idea her makeup possessed. But once she has it, she falls right into it. Even if she's still under stress, she's able to keep moving and prove that she can keep pace with and even outlast this unstoppable cold killing machine. And really it's, I don't know. I can't, I don't know right off the top of my head if James Cameron already had in his mind a sequel, if he already knew where he would go, if he would ever get to do a Terminator 2. But as it turned out, whichever came first, the chicken or the egg, the transitions are Immaculate and logical between the two. And in all three movies, Linda falls into very logical, believable places as the character. And the evolution is truly stunning to see, not just because Linda Hamilton is an outstanding actress, but also because, as she more than proved in Terminator 2, for as vulnerable and off guard and utterly shaken by these sudden turns of events as she is in this movie. In the second one, she's physically downright scary. She is like pants wetting me frightening (laughs) in terms of just how vicious she really is and what an antithesis she really becomes to the humanity that the T-100 has begun to learn. So, she really does carry it quite nicely because you've got the call to, the call to adventure. And by the way, yes, I know I'm going to miss a couple steps in the moment here. I'm just hitting the ones I can remember. You've got the encounter with a loving God, um, um with a loving Michael Bublé figure who happens to pass a blessing along to, along to her. You could argue that most of the second act and a good chunk of the third is her descent into hell. And by the end of the movie, she's become master of two worlds. She's literally the only, just about the only living person on earth who truly knows exactly what is coming. And yet, she has to live in the present day and make do the best she can, raising her son and somehow managing to not shake every oblivious flesh bag that she finds like a British nanny to tell them, the fuck is wrong with you? The ka is going to kill you.
0: I'm going to, and for a lot of people, I, I'm gonna, this may be going out on a limb, uh, maybe even for you guys, but I feel after sitting through the Terminator again that Michael Bain's character, Kyle Reed's, the performance of that character—I mean, people talk about how Jai Courtney is way stiff and and, you know, and he's more robotic than Arnold Schwarzenegger. The polar
2: opposite of that,
0: Mike Michael Bane, right? To be serious, that's how you pronounce his last name is it, it's I, be,
2: I believe so. That's 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 the way I've heard it pronounced before.
0: Michael Bane overacts almost to the point, of, <laughs> almost to the point of Jim Carrey levels in this movie. He is, I mean, every line of dialogue is breathy and, uh, and exaggerated. And, I mean, I have two issues with how he, Kyle Reese is portrayed. One, it's, I, I, I just don't find it believable that you would send this hardened, traumatized soldier from the future back, and nobody at any time tells him, by the way, 1984, no one's going to believe a fucking word you say. Okay? So tone it down and not, Hawkeye. And, and, and you know, he goes, yeah. get to the base, and get to protect my mom. Don't go crazy. You know, say the explanation for when he's a it. But, he, but I mean, you have, let, me, let me set this up, okay, just so you understand where I'm coming from. He's in the bar. The Terminator's in the bar. Sarah's in the bar. Terminator goes to pull his shot. He shoots the Terminator. Bedlam breaks out. He rescues her from the bar, they go on the run, and the first thing he says to her is, I'm Kyle Reese, number 246701, and I'm from the future. Wait a minute, you asshole.
4: Why are you telling her that?
0: Why can't you just say, hey, I'm here to save you from the big guy who's trying to kill you? Not said, okay? Why can't you go through this big, long speech? That's my first problem, and that's, that's, that's wholly a problem in the writing. And I'll I'll grant him, you know, being breathy and exaggerated in that moment, you know, because of the adrenaline of running from the murder bot, you know, got him to that point. Okay, I'm with you there. He's in the police station, in handcuffs, talking to what he thinks is somebody in charge, but is actually the forensic psychologist. And this is how he's delivering dialogue, okay? Like, we didn't know. We the Terminator, with the mustard, and the thing, and oh, my, oh, my God, why am I talking to you? Like, why are you talking that way? I don't understand. Like, I just, every word out of his mouth until about the third act where things start to quiet down, or dialogue ceases entirely,
2: and it's just run from the murder bot. Let me ask you a real quick question. This might put everything to rest, okay? Did things change after you got laid? Was he less uptight? Was he less breathy? I would I would say like he he starts to
0: get control of himself in the you know once they get out of the police station, um and she's they're they're huddled they're it's nice. they're huddled together they're, they've 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 put the car off the road and they're in the tunnel, and she's saying to him I'll tell me about your you know, well
1: yeah that's tell me about your problem. yeah, the window wait wait point, wait, no wait. so 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 are are you making an argument that. My, that Michael Boogie Birdie's uh, hilarious overacting might have actually been a conscious expression <laughs> of the fact that Kyle Reese really needed to pop his biscuits. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, it could have been the, it could have been the
2: motivation, sir. That is what I'm trying to say.
3: Mm-hmm. My,
2: my God. Bank, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm taking this to the bank. If that's the case.
0: Anytime I'm overdramatic, every time I'm exaggerated, I'm like, sorry, it's Blue Balls.
1: Oh, dear God, right. so, I think I
0: actually need to fetch a towel or two. So let's <laughs> put Jesse's Blue Balls theory aside for just one moment. Not saying it's an invalid theory, but I don't want to just leave the discussion there.
2: <laughs>
0: All right. Sean, any thoughts about how James Cameron, who directed Schwarzenegger so well, who directed uh, Linda Hamilton so well, allowed this man to go full-on Jim Carrey through two-thirds of this movie?
1: Uh, he, you know, now that Jesse actually po- actually posed the whole idea that all he really needed was just to get his Snapple twisted once um, and, and just have just one good sloppy rush night of the humpity-bumpity with Linda Hamilton, right now I'm not actually so sure there wasn't some collusion going on there. <laughs> you think that James Cameron as a
0: director is like, Listen, this character hasn't busted a nut in his entire life. He's too busy running from the robots. So everything you said... So you must sound like you are about ready to piss your pants through this entire movie (laughs) until you actually bust a nut.
1: It's You know what? It may very well be that the man who would later give the world Aliens, Avatar, The Abyss, and Titanic did in fact say to... Michael Benedict Cumberbatch, he did say, okay, I want you to imagine the single most excruciating case of blue balls you have ever had. Take that to the 10,000th power. Multiply that by (laughs) two. And now imagine that you have also taken a vow of celibacy as a Benedictine monk. That is about (laughs) half the raging frustration I want you to I want you to express until the, until the moment that you achieve liftoff um, from her launch pad.
0: <laughs> so that leaves me with only one question. I don't understand why his character isn't written very well. It's just not. He, he, he's a plot device, and I kind of accept him as that, and I don't let it necessarily take me out of the movie. But let's face it. I, again, I tell you, and I said this to I said this to Winfrey last night. in no way does any human being act this way. You're not thrown into a you know. If I were to deposit one of you into like you know 1776, you're not running up to fucking you know uh, Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson and be like, stop everything. You have no blacks are going to get the right to vote. Stop what you're doing. You know, like you don't do that. No human being really acts that way. Starter. Terminator, burning desires, things left unsaid. Anything you want to talk about? Go.
2: No, I, I, a very great way to start the franchise. Um, we're going to see some themes from Terminator One that, that kind of reappear in the next two movies. So um, we're going to we're probably going to talk about a few a few repeated uh, things that will happen. But uh, I love love the love the first one. I can't wait to talk about the second one, Someone i going to shut up now. Sean, burning desires, things
0: left unsaid, anything you want to add about, um, about Terminator? Otherwise, we're moving on to Judgment Day.
1: Quite frankly, this is the virtually perfect 80s action movie. Linda Hamilton is utterly outstanding, on par with the best work of Neil Jovovich in the Resident Evil movies, Sigourney Weaver in Alien, or any, almost any latter-day Scarlett Johansson movie, for that matter, in terms of... being being able to be a physical match for everybody she's on screen with without coming across like she's trying too hard. Schwarzenegger gets a lot done with simple posture and movement and just natural poise. In fact, just about as much as, say, Tim Curry gets gets done with sheer personality and being able to act with the makeup in Legend. And what really gets forgotten is the fact that For as much as he is a visually stunning and masterful director, James Cameron is an underrated storyteller when it comes to piecing together a narrative and characters that complement all the bombast that's going on on screen, and for the most part, about nine times out of ten, the other time being Avatar, actually leaves you with a pretty satisfying story to follow along the way. And the most miraculous thing is the fact that almost a decade later, he would goddamn top himself.
0: Okay, that brings us to uh, 1991, Judgment Day, Terminator 2, wherein we find that things are not going well for the Connor family. Uh, Edward Furlong, who plays John Connor. Uh, how old is John Connor supposed to be in this? He's like 12 or like 10, 13, somewhere in there. He's young, really young. Um, Age Edward Furlong. Yeah, Edward Furlong, <laughs> yes. Edward Furlong plays 10 year old John Connor, who is currently in foster care because his mother has been taken to a uh, state correctional hospital due to the fact that she is believed to be batshit insane. Um, It is at this time in the year 1991 that Skynet, having failed to kill Sarah Connor uh, the first time in 1984, has sent the T-1000 Terminator, which is your shape-changing liquid metal magic Terminator, uh, back to kill John when he's 10. The resistance, uh, John Connor, kidnap a uh, or take possession of a T800 model, which is the Schwarzenegger version, reprogram it, and send it back to protect John at all costs and make sure he lives to uh, to man the to lead the resistance. Along the way, uh, John, you know, with, with, with these events occurring around him John realizes that his mother was right all along and she's not a not a crazy person and so out of guilt if nothing else he orders the Terminator to help him rescue her from the state psychiatric correctional facility Uh, the three of them go on the lam when the Hamilton Sarah Connor has a vision of the future and which she goes mad mad I tell you and decides That she's had enough she's not going to let the bombs drop she is going to kill the person who created skynet before they can create skynet and end the world and that person happens to be miles dyson uh Mm -hmm. she goes to the house and attempts to murder the man uh she stops herself short you know clinging to that last last hair of humanity that she has she is then joined by uh john and the terminate and the guardian once more, and once they share judgment, what, the forthcoming Judgment Day with Miles, he agrees to help them destroy all of his work and uh, summarily stop Judgment Day. They succeed, uh, the Terminator sacrifices himself to make sure that nothing can be uh, taken from his body and copied and recreated to uh, create Skynet. You know, there are no, nothing left behind, no strings left uh, no strings left, and Sarah and John are able to then move forward without the threat of Skynet and Judgment Day lo- looming over their heads. That's your plot synopsis, as best I can remember it from a few days ago. Um, this is the one I think everyone says is their favorite. This is, uh, he- people have said this is sort of a near-perfect movie. You have one small hiccup, which is you know, which is just your problems in general with time travel, um, you know, silly things like you have a time machine and you've met, and you've messed up your one chance to, uh, you know, to stop John Connor from being born. How did you get a second shot at this? But whatever. You start asking too many questions about Terminator and time travel, you're going to end up with, with your brain on drugs, which is an egg in a frying pan. So forget it. <laughs> it's not even going down that road. Um, but overall, Jesse... Um, this one your favorite too? This this this, this the top of the,
2: the top of the heap? Oh, absolutely. This this right here holds a uh, of all we, we did on the Screaming Boy podcast, which come up here this, this coming Saturday. We did a, a list of top time travel movies to try and fit in with Terminator week. This was my number two. Uh, my number one. Is, is Back to the Future. We, a lot of people already know that. But this is number two. And really, it is up there on probably top ten of all time, to be honest, movies that I really enjoy. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the the time travel plot device. But, let's just, just like you said, let's throw it all out of there because it'll hurt your brain. Okay. <laughs> The special effects of this movie for the time were freaking unreal. I can remember, when this movie came out, I was young enough to be kind of scared of watching rated R movies. Um, Especially, I remember hearing about Terminator. Uh, I don't think I'd seen the first one before I actually saw the second one. And I was kind of, you know, leery about watching this movie because I didn't want to have nightmares. I didn't know what to expect. Um, but sat down and watched the movie, and I was able to get through all the gross parts but, and enjoy the story that, that was being told. Uh, but again, <clears throat> let's harken back to the special effects. Just like I think Sean had mentioned there earlier, this, Terminator 1 kind of set the tone for some crazy-looking stuff that happened on screen. And then Terminator 2 hits the screen, and you're seeing shit that seems like it's too three, four, five years outside of what we're going to see on screen a lot with the computer-generated graphics. Um, I, for one, loved the T-1000, the way, the look of the T-1000. But, okay, so special effects, all right? That's number one. Number two is the twist, okay? This was a movie that when it came out, we're all expecting – Arnold Schwarzenegger to be, he's the Terminator and he still is the Terminator in this movie, but the twist occurs in the movie where he is obviously fighting on the good fight now. Um, and we're not really, I wish I could go, this is, a, this is one of those things where I wish I could go back and erase my, the memories that I have of watching this movie just so I could watch it again and experience that twist, experience that uh, that, uh, that thing that came way from out, out from left field. Cause when you see the T 1000, when you see Robert Patrick's T 1000, he's dressed up as a cop, you know, at the first beginning of the movie, he, he dispatches that one cop, but you don't know if he killed the guy or if he just punched him in the stomach. Um, so uh, at first you're rooting for the bad guy like almost uh, the whole first quarter of the movie. Um, But again, that that would probably be the biggest thing that I loved about the movie was the fact that it uh, uh, once you it it took you on a ride uh, where ups and downs of this movie where you were like, holy crap! And then look at that Uh, when the Terminator stoppable, uh, you know we got an unbeatable robot in the beginning that the only way we can destroy it is with a hydraulic press and compressing it down to an inch thick. Now we've got water. Liquid fucking metal that we have to try and deal with. And the ways that they have to try and come up with killing this fucking thing. I mean, explosion, and it's kind of like, you know, they just kind of dial it up. Okay, well, what the hell are we going to do next? What are we going to do now? We've already, uh, let's see, we just exploded a tractor trailer around his ass, and oh, here he comes. He's no not, a, not anything wrong with him helicopter explodes no problem he gets freaking minigun loaded into his face no problem what's going to stop it uh i i'm going to stop now because i can go on for probably about another 10 minutes and i know we only got a little bit of time but uh, there there's there's my shot at it i want to i want you to speak to this now
0: they did the old flip flop and fly here with the terminators mm-hmm. as, as jesse pointed out you have your uh judas priest gay biker uh <laughs> looking Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and then you have you have the you know skinny nerdy looking Robert Patrick, who has a cold icy stare, but certainly not an imposing figure. But he's the but, but, but he's your your monster, and it's funny because I want to go back to the first movie for a second. Um, Schwarzenegger talks about in the in the documentary that he actually read for Kyle Reese. And initially, and then for whatever the reasons were, they said no. You're better off as a Terminator. But it was an interesting, um, it was an interesting contrast because, you know, Schwarzenegger is so imposing, and the character is supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be an infiltrator model. You know, it's supposed to be uh, something that is able to just sort of blend into society, into the crowd. And obviously, Schwarzenegger, as big as he is, especially back in 1984 where he was only a few years removed from his bodybuilding career does not blend into a crowd, but it made him, as we talked uh, earlier, made him such an imposing figure uh, because he was so big in this movie. They go back to the original thought, let's get a guy who's not imposing looking at all and make him be the unstoppable monster uh, versus Schwarzenegger. Who's so big, and he, you know, and he, and he looks like a hero. He's your Hulk Hogan, um, you know, and, and Robert Patrick's more of a Daniel Bryan, but everything gets flipped on its head because your Daniel Bryan, vegan, wimpy-looking guy is much more badass and much more tougher and much more deadlier than your Hulk Hogan-looking uh, hero character. So how does that work for you? How does the bringing in of Michael Patrick and flipping uh, the roles of imposition of the characters work for you?
1: Well... The thing you have to understand about the T-1000 and why, it's, why it works so well is a big part of the genius of James Cameron. Cameron takes the nuanced, thoughtful, and very measured, calculated performance of Robert Patrick and combines it with special effects that are the culmination of a decade or so of evolution of movies that I mentioned at the top like Dragon Slayer, "Crawl," Willow, The Abyss, and so on, And ultimately, what you get is a comfortable, seamless meshing of CGI with practical effects that, quite frankly, for that era, only Jurassic Park was able to equal. And when you pair those two, what you have is something that's able to portray Robert Patrick as somebody who is indeed more than a match for the T-800. It is all comes across so well in every combat sequence. Combination of the it of the massive exclamation point damage that you see the T-1000 absorbing as Patrick is able to just never break expression, never break character, and just keep on coming. In that sense, it's a truly masterful performance, and you have to chalk it up to all three. Schwarzenegger is physically bringing it the best he possibly can. And it's truly uh, his finest hour as far as I'm concerned in not only bringing it physically with the massive physique and stature that he already has, but also with just little touches of subtlety in the slowness of his movement compared to how much more, agile and able-bodied the T-1000 is with its liquid metal construction. So it really is something that's very well designed by Cameron, by, I believe it's Stan Winston did the special effects on this. I could be wrong, and I apologize if I am. But it's truly a perfect storm, and there's a reason why this not only stands out for its period so well as being, again, alongside Jurassic Park, arguably the paragon of special effects for the time, but also in terms of combining those special effects with people who are so able to tell a story with their characters and make the action not so much a distraction from the story, but a true complement to it and something that accelerates it. And moves forward.
0: Okay, uh, at this time, I'd like to bring on our title card artist, uh, all the way from New York City, Mr. Benjamin Cologne. New York City.
1: <laughs> You're welcome, '90s kids.
4: Ben, where are you? Um, I'm right where you left me. Um. <laughs> She Somewhere so cursing the crow sequels. Yeah. Um well, you know, when, when apparently I can't resist a, a movie featuring Edward Furlong no matter how young he is. Uh um, <laughs> Furlong. But uh we are here to talk the Terminator franchise and very specifically I had to call in right about now. I had to call in before the discussion of Terminator Two got any further in because um I had to at least throw my two cents in about this movie. Um, Terminator 2 was Terminator Two was hands down my favorite movie of all time for a good long while. Um, that uh, I was a little bit late to that party. I don't think I actually saw the movie in full until they started airing it on TV. Um, I think, you know, when I was, at some point when I was in school, they gave it like, an, they were giving it on Sunday nights on like ABC. So it was heavily edited. Um, I remember staying. You know, that ran about three hours on on broadcast TV. So I, I didn't get a whole hell of a lot of sleep for school the next day. I know that Stan Winston did the, uh, did basically all the practical Terminator effects for uh, part for Terminator Two and I think Terminator Terminator One as well with um, ILM doing the, uh, the CGI, which still in a lot of ways holds up today. Um, which is another thing, uh, you know, talking about uh, talking about the foster parent deaths. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of
3: that. There was a lot
4: of there was a lot of like really as seamless as you could get it, especially for 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back and forth between you know the practical and the CGI. That's the effects were so far ahead of their time at that time. Um, that was you know a lot of that stuff just stood with you. Uh, the thing about Cam- uh, James Cameron, Cam- James-, James Cameron is is really good at, at what I call the iconic image, and, and it's a term that I use um, mm-hmm. a lot more in comics. It's a term that I use a lot more in comics to describe cover art and just to describe people who are, are good at cover art, and I always use um, mm-hmm. John Romero Sr. as an example. Um, mm-hmm. As far as guys that are that, that just can can distill uh, a scene down to, like, a single image that is just unforgettable. Um, James Cameron's very good at that, uh, very good at, at at images that you won't forget. Um, you know, the image, like I said, of the, the foster parent deaths, the image of, you know, the uh, T-1000 uh, in various states of disrepair after being shot with uh, pistols, shotguns after, at one point, uh, Schwarzenegger climbs up a truck and unloads an M16 into his ass. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. I'm sorry,
2: course, man. And, and, and Robert Patrick, dude, just like, just playing that part was, was amazing. But yeah, special effects, dude. It was crazy some of the stuff that happened.
1: Yeah, Ro- Robert Patrick, a performance so legendary that it even got a little wink in Wayne's World. That's right. He did.
2: Yeah. I mm-hmm. remember that coming out of the donut shop.
1: Mm-hmm. The diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have Have you seen this boy?
4: <laughs> and, and as you're saying, um, with the, with the, as far as the storytelling, I, it was a brilliant move and, and really calculated, uh, you know, the, sw- you know, the switching up of the roles and then, and having Robert Patrick play, playing the villain. Um, in some of the notes that I read they, they sort of compared it to, you know, Schwarzenegger's uh, Terminator was, was like a Panzer tank versus you know, like the stealth bomber or like a, That's you know, a, very, Ferrari it's a very for, comparison for um Yeah, for um for Patrick's uh T one thousand. and just like I said, the role reversal of, you know, Schwarzenegger playing the hero and they played that up in the advertising. They gave you no hints in the advertising in the trailer um, That's right. This is another, this movie, man. Uh, and also, this was, I was kind of, you know, I, I don't know the, you know, the trajectory of, you know, everybody's respective careers. I'm actually a little bit surprised that Linda Hamilton didn't do more after this movie uh, and become sort of, you know, become to the 90s what James Cameron had made Sigourney Weaver into in the 80s as far as, you know, the you know the action,
0: action heroine. Well, hang on. How many action movies has Sigourney Weaver been in outside of the Aliens franchise? I mean, when you think about, not very many. Um, I mean, Robert, when Robert Woodbury and I were talking about this last night, and we were praising Linda Hamilton, you know, for being one of the best female action stars of all time, it's a short list because there aren't that many. You know, your action hero is no, typically no. male. And they don't they but, they they, they bomb. People don't go to see them. But the only well, I can, the only I, one I, I, I can think of is Angelina Jolie in the Tomb Raider, the uh, the Tomb Raider movies. But there was only yeah, two of yeah. them, and I don't know if the second
1: one did any business at all. Well, but but hang on a second though. I I think that that's still a fair thing to point to point out, in the sense that, you know, it, there have been a lot of movies that have tried to throw out. Uh, a female-led action cast. Um, The only problem is, in a lot of those movies, the woman they've chosen has not really brought it as convincingly as Linda Hamilton has. I'll give you a good example. In fact, I'll give you a great example. Inarguably the best example for anybody who is familiar with the lore of the making of Terminator 2. Because it, to this day, is my favorite story about this movie. Um, during the scenes in The Mental Asylum, uh, there's a certain uh, fairly stocky, fairly tall orderly, I believe his name is Dougie in the movie, um, who is of a stature that, you know, towers over Linda. He's got her definitely outsized. And Linda, of course, or let's just call her Sarah, uh, in the script gets belligerent a number of times and uncooperative. And so a few times, the orderlies really have to tune her up. During these scenes, Linda and the actor who played Dougie butted heads a couple times. Not because he was taking liberties. Actually, it was because, in Linda's opinion, the action wasn't coming across the right way because he was pulling his strikes too much. And she kept telling him repeatedly between takes and with increasing frustration, hit me harder, hit me harder, hit me for real, hit me harder. And he was so reluctant to because he didn't want to hurt her. And what ended up happening later was during the scene when Sarah finally gives Dougie a receipt during her escape, she... (laughs) absolutely stiffed him for real, and I believe broke the man's nose.
4: Wouldn't be surprised.
1: Uh, no, well, because if you're looking at her in that movie, that's that's the other difference. And allow me to make a comparison here, and I'm going to make a fair comparison, so please don't jump in with any counter-arguments, because I know what they're going to be, because I have a very old-fashioned, reasonably sexist father who has made the same argument a million times over the years, without while entirely missing the point every single time, um, allow me to compare Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor to Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity in The Matrix. The comparison being, in that movie, let's just face facts and call a spade a spade. And anybody who wants to draw little caricatures of me with a neck beard and a fedora, number one, go right ahead, number two, fuck right off. Um, it it could only work in that movie because Carrie Ann Moss does not have the physical presence to make you believe that she would physically be a match for ad- for anybody whatsoever. Um, she has she has a set of arms that are about as big around as my forearms and they're about that tone. Um, yes, she's incredibly agile, but The main reason why it's plausible that she would be able to take down figures on the screen who appear to have her outsized by a good 50 to 75 pounds at least is because you have it established that the Matrix has the rule that really uh, your, your actual physical stature really makes no difference. It's all mental. She can imagine herself being able to do these things. She believes in her mind, in this world, that she's able to, and hence, she is. Um, Whereas, in reality, she has the build of your typical underwear model. Um, On the other hand, now let's take a look at Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. Physically, you can, she actually makes you believe that she is 155.6% capable of every physical rigor she has put through throughout this movie. Um, she has that kind of natural presence. She's that talented actor. And she's in that kind, that kind of shape. The aesthetic really carry, really carry it off. She really toughened herself up that much. That I'm sure that that poor actor playing that orderly had no idea that yeah she would legitimately be able to bust him open the hard way, um, because she decided she had had enough of him treating her treating her like a shrinking violet. That's why it works, and unfortunately, in the annals of movies that have had female-led action leads, and, and again, you know, go ahead, disagree with me if you want to, but by all means throw me a a convincing counter-argument, um, there have been more carrie Ann Mosses than there have been Scarlett Johansson's, Sigourney Weaver's, Neil Jovovich's, or Linda Hamilton's. I, and don't get me wrong, I think it's um, an absolute uh, tragedy that there haven't been more Cynthia Rothrocks. Um, be, because there's somebody who was, who was physically absolutely able to pull off every single thing that she was doing because 100 fucking percent legit martial artist. Um, mm-hmm. One of the most decorated in the world prior to her retirement, in fact. But she for some reason never really caught on outside, outside of the Hong Kong scene. Um, and in part, I blame that on the fact that and Mark, I'm sure you would have probably pointed this out in a minute anyway, that Hollywood is thinking of the movie poster. They're thinking of the trailers. They're thinking of who can we pimp to Maxim, FHM, Playboy, blah, 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 whoever, in order to promote this movie. And when it comes down to that, um, even if you're comparing, say, Gal Gadot to Gina Carano, who is is a stone-cold stunner in her own right, um, you—they're still going to go with the the softer, more feminine-looking Gal Gadot um, mm-hmm. because she's le- because she's less because she's less intimidating, and unfortunately, that's what motivates a lot of the casting decisions, as opposed to somebody who can bring that kind of legitimacy to a character.
0: No, I told. Look, I said you know, I've said on a few podcast back, and I said, you know, Hollywood hates women, and you were, you know, and, and you were kind of stunned by that sentence, but what I mean by that is, when they look to cast men, typically, no, they you know, do. You're times, right. they do, are can carry the part, when they cast a woman, it's, it's about, a, nine out of ten times, it's about her physical feature, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, there's a, I, I think I said this to you last, uh, two nights ago, there's a great line in season three of Orange is the New Black where uh, Sophia, who's the transgendered character, um, is giving her son advice, and it's pretty sexist advice. And he looks at, and he looks back at her, and he says, "Uh huh." In a world that treats women this way, I can't believe you still want to be one. And she says, "God help me, I do." But um, it, it, it just sucks. It, it sucks to have it, it sucks to be a girl, to be a woman in a world that, even with all their achievements. You know, even with a with a hero figure like Sarah Connor out there, still summarily views them as as material sex objects.
4: Um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to think this is a good uh, this is a good note to go out on for Terminator Two, and it's um it's about basically my favorite scene in the movie, and it did. Appropriately enough, it, it revolves around Linda Hamilton, and, and the more I think about it, the more I think that this is earned, and this is and this is probably a big reason why it's my favorite part. Um, but throughout the movie, and, you know, you, you take the knowledge of the first movie with you where Sarah Connor is a very different character and what she's become in part two in order to protect her son and, by extension, protect the future of the human race. Uh and she's had to become kind of, you know, kind of cold and a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit fierce in order to do that. And throughout the movie, uh, she's trying, she, she's continuing to try to protect John. And a lot of that involves running, just like in the first movie. She's running. She's running with her son. She's running from uh, Schwarzenegger in the early first couple of minutes that uh, that, that they encounter each other uh then they're running together they're running you know you know they're running from the authorities. they're running from the c1000 they're running to she's running to uh the character of uh, miles dyson and thinking that uh she's going to kill him and and be able to stop with you know stop judgment day from happening and and she realizes she's not a killer uh and you know the, there's a lot of you know throughout the movie she's running, and it's for the purposes of protecting her son and protecting you know what comes after that. Then you get to the part at the very end of the movie where she's she's cornered uh Schwarzenegger's nowhere to be found as far as they know uh the t one thousand may have already destroyed him um, and she has she has to protect. Her son, still, they're in the steel mill. And this is where she stops running. And she's got, you know, she's got a shotgun. She's got a loaded shotgun in her hand. And it's just her pumping shotgun shells into Robert Patrick over and over and over again and you read it on you read, you read everything on her face and it's a release and it's like she's almost glad that she doesn't have to run anymore you see it on her face that she almost feels glad that she doesn't have to run anymore that she can confront this you know this representation of everything she's been running from and she can solve this problem she can find she can end this with you know by confronting it and it's just the most awesome, one of the most awesome things I've ever seen in a movie ever is this—you know—Linda Hamilton staring down this un- unstoppable killing machine, and just blasting it repeatedly over and over again. And there's a moment that I thought, like, because she runs out of shotgun shells, she kids you know—the the, the shotgun is empty, and you know she keeps trying to fire repeatedly, and she can't, and it's empty. And there's this one moment, if you look really carefully. She looks like she's about to spear him off the ledge, and you know they and take a dive, both of them into the steel. And you believe that because you read it on her face. It's just that uh, you know her son grabs her and kind of stops her, and then Schwarzenegger shows up and you know unloads a you know a, a grenade in, in Robert Patrick's ass, and it's really awesome there too. But <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: that's a that's the, that's just such a good combination of like everything that this movie and even the first movie was about. Uh, it all comes together right in that scene. And, and if Linda Hamilton doesn't play it, it in just the right way, you lose a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about. But she plays it so well, and, you know, that's that's why that's that's my favorite part of that movie. Like I said, it's one of the coolest things ever to me is just, uh, you know, how that all played out. So that's, uh, you know, my, my last thought to go out on, on, on Terminator 2.
0: Um, I want to talk about two things before we move on to Rise of the Machines. Um, and, and I like kind of have to talk about Edward Furlong. Um, but I also want to talk about... Does anybody ever
1: have to talk about Edward Furlong? <laughs> to do in this case.
0: Uh, but before we do, I want to talk about... the. the ben mentioned it uh, just a few minutes ago. My favorite scene in the movie, really my favorite sequence, is... It starts with Lizabeth Hamilton having the vision of Judgment Day, waking up and taking off and heading to the Dyson home, and her deciding she's going to assassinate the man. Uh, She misses him. She goes into the house. She corners him, and she's just ranting. She's like, "I'm not going to let you." She has no, you know, unlike Michael um, Bonanza. She, you know, she, she's just saying, "I'm not gonna let you do it. I'm not gonna let you do it. I'm not gonna let you kill all those people." And he's just kind of looking at her, going, uh, "Look, you crazy white woman. What, what is your problem? And like, what, what? How, how did we get to that? Um And and she had, and and she, again, she retains that last threat of humanity by stopping herself from shooting him in the head. And moments later, uh, John and the Terminator show up and they, we've received the new exposition, uh, getting everyone caught up to speed. Uh, but I kind of want to get your reactions to that scene, um, because in a lot of ways, as they start to humanize the, the Schwarzenegger character, the Guardian, uh, she becomes dehumanized. And, uh, and, and, and there's a sort of flashpoint in the movie where, if she goes too far, she, you know, she she will have lost her humanity. She's she will have lost the battle before a bomb even drops. I was kind of want to get your reactions to that. I think that's the high water mark of the movie. That is that 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 is probably the most important scene in the movie.
2: Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely up there. When you got Sarah starts out and she's, I mean, if it wasn't for that. RC, uh, that uh, RC Pro-Am uh, truck that hits the kid in the, or hits him in the leg, she, she would have took him out with that one shot. Um, but it's, you know, she's laying those freaking bullets down and shredding his office up, trying to shoot this guy and then when she gets up close and personal, that's where she realizes what she's about to do. Throughout these these years in between these movies, she's hardened herself to become this great warrior uh, to try and, you know, she's of, she is the mother of one of the leaders of the resistance, and she has got to learn how to bring this kid up right. And uh, so she's become uh, almost a hardened, uh, I don't want to say criminal, but, I mean, she's, she's definitely one tough son of a girl. Um, I might have said that wrong. But, anyway, <laughs> tremendous scene uh, because she gets right up close and she can't you can't do it. And it, it definitely speaks to how the – what we see a lot of in these in this trilogy is the weak person becoming the hero or the, you know, the, uh, the warrior. Um, you see that throughout all, all three of these. I mean, the first one you saw Sarah evolve into this. She was, just like you said, some club-hopping uh, uh, young – late teenage girl and she gets this thrust upon her to where she has to deal with. Uh, and now she's dealt with it. And then she, she gets, uh, she's about to pull the trigger and kill this. It's a, he's an innocent man right there. Even though he is potentially responsible for the death of billions of people at that point in time, he is an innocent man. And she finally comes to grips with the fact that what is going on right now is all that matters. It doesn't matter what's going to happen, you know, ten, fifteen years in the future. It's right now is all that matters, and um, she makes the right decision.
0: Um, Sean, go ahead and uh, add to that if you want, if if, if, um, if there's something you have to say. But I also, like I said, I want to get to Edward Furlong. A couple of things about him. You know, I said before, if Sarah, Con- if the character, the actress playing Sarah Connor. Doesn't work, you know. She can't act, and I think the whole thing falls apart. And that's that's certainly true with this movie. But um, Edward Furlong still had an important part to play, and I would tell you that I think studio executives probably, in their mind, discounted Linda Hamilton and placed a lot of uh, a, a lot of importance on Edward Furlong, and he was expected to be a breakout star in this and, and all of that. Now. And I will continue to defend that this is, I think, Sarah's story more than his. But uh, would you say that, that that Edward Furlong did a decent job with the character? Did a terrible job? You know, did about as good as any child actor <laughs> does in any movie. Uh, you know, where would you rate Edward Furlong, and do you think he detracts from the movie
1: or or adds to it? The only thing I would really add about Sarah Connor is just the fact that. Terminator 2 pulls off something that, to the best of my knowledge, only The Crow does really well, and that is it takes what it establishes, what the previous movie established as the hero of the movie, and deepens that descent into hell by jarring us loose and making us watch her become the embodiment of everything she was afraid of in the first place, all while the machine that she's been fighting the entire time, that she's been sitting in that cell fearing, has gradually become more human, compassionate, and caring than she is. Kind of makes us briefly a little bit reluctant to cheer for her. But when it comes to Edward, uh, it's really hard to gauge how much of this is just what you could really call acting, you know, in the traditional Stanislavski method sense, and how much of it is just point the camera at Edward and don't tell him it's on. <laughs> um, sadly, I don't think we'll ever really know how great he could have become because, well, after this movie, what happened to him was what happened, was what is killed a lot of other promising young actors. Miraculously he managed to live through it, but he never quite developed that devotion to craft that actually might have made him an up and comer. It's really hard to say that there's anything all that engage all that engaging because really all he is is just an engine, a motivation, and a bit of a catalyst for the terminal for the Terminator to gradually evolve, he's something for Arnold to play off of. He's well, I mean, Arnold. There's no other way to put it. He's the straight man of the pair, and he's kind of the he's kind of the loose cannon. And in this case, it works, but it's hard for me to give just a whole lot of credit to Edward because for most of the movie, well. Let me put it this way. Uh, If you ever haven't seen this and you want to experience roughly what the Edward Furlong method of acting is like, uh, step one, go rent Empire Records, which you should anyway because it's a really underrated 90s indie movie. So now that you've done that, find the shoplifting city. Uh, That moment where... Ethan Embry at the top of his lungs shrieks. Okay, um, take that clip, uh, loop it for about two hours, and then throw in the sound of two cats and teeth fighting in the background. That's about what it's like to listen to Edward Furlong deliver most of this movie's dialogue. It's, uh, it's a combination of him doing his best possible impression of Bobby Budnick from Salute Your Shorts and expressing his idea of what, of what revolved, unbridled emotion is by ear-splitting shrieking. But the only, the only thing is, as I will remind everybody miraculously, um, his performance in The Crow makes this look like King Lear. <laughs> the, uh,
0: the more I, I, I think about Edward Furlong in this movie, the more I, I hear the words, he reminds me of Poochie from The Simpsons. People um, <laughs> don't, don't know the reference. They wanted to add a character to Itchy and strategy and yeah. it, was character by, you know, it was a character creation by executives trying to appeal to
1: every audience.
0: And I feel like that's how his character was written. I feel like that's how his... Um, I, I feel like that's how uh, he portrayed the character. I just, you know, it was like people sitting around writing the script and shooting it they like, don't know how children behave. You just kind of... They had an idea in their head, and they're like, well, let's do, let, let's do this. And that, they ran with it, and he did the best job he could with it. But I, but I look at that, and I go... Eh. It's a good thing the rest of this movie is really good because you're not adding a damn thing to it. You are not charming. You are not precocious. You are not cute. Um. You and you deliver, you deliver dialogue that's almost pandering to a, to to a, to a kid audience. Like kids are supposed to look at him and go, "Yeah, I'm gonna start saying You know, "Are, are you calling moi a douchebag?" I, it was just the most, the most robotic kind of inhuman reaction to things, um, more robotic than even Schwarzenegger, if you can believe that. So, it, it, whenever I watch it, I always—he's hes, the, he's the, my least favorite part of that movie. Uh, Jesse, burning desires uh, here. I want to uh, move on to Jesse.
2: Uh, uh, okay, let me speak on Edward Furlong, and as, as a friend of mine, I used to work with. Always used to start out phone conversations with do things. Okay, we got two things. Two things. Edward Furlong was not ever, had no intentions of being an actor. And you guys probably already know this. He was, he was plucked from the streets of wherever he lived by a casting agent. So I assume that's probably, he probably lived in Los Angeles, somewhere on the West Coast. But he was working at a youth center. And this is all from IMDB, so don't think I'm just coming off this of my head here. But working at a youth center, some lady comes up and plucks him out of there and says, hey, would you like to audition for uh, for uh, the, the part? Um, and this was straight up for John Connor. This was his first ever role. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I shudder to think that they would just take him and sh- shove him into the role without giving him some, some lessons. But uh, this guy was definitely you know, just tossed into the fire and then tried to make a career out of something that he may not have damn well been good at in the first place.
1: You know, I'm going um, to, I'm going I'm, I'm to look him up, but actually I think you may not be all that far off in terms of him just really being thrown into this. Um, yeah, because I, I could, I could swear because I, I once, I once upon a time owned, um, one of the uh, deluxe two disc DVD editions I forget which one it was I think it was the um, extreme edition of Terminator 2 uh, that had the that had the, just like three or four really excellent <laughs> trivia tracks It's the one I would recommend uh, picking up on uh, Amazon if you're not amenable to getting it on blu-ray yeah uh, so you know I it, it makes me it makes me almost feel kind of bad for how much I just taunted him a minute. A minute ago about how much of it was re- was really acting, but at but yeah. at the same time, no, y- you know what? There's a point when there's an excuse, and there's a point when dumb shit person well, is dumb call. shit. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I,
2: um, it's you got to think this casting this casting this casting agent. I mean, well, it I, I it's still top ten in my movie, so really I can't bitch because if it, if he was that horrible to me. Um, then I would. This would definitely be one of those ones I can. But uh, you know,
4: so I guess
2: he did a good you job know, for being thrown into one of the biggest blockbuster movies of that summer, for absolutely sure.
1: Well, and and you know, allow me to briefly put on my put on my Mark hat for a moment, um, and and be entirely entirely fair to him as at the time, uh, a developing juvenile, and that is the fact that. You are the young actors at that age that come into the kind of money and fame yeah. and um, kind of fall all over you ass kissing um, that comes with starring in a major movie like that. It's not just something that you see in movies. It's something that we've seen a hundred thousand times over you might as well have just thrown a keg of gunpowder into a bonfire. Um, it's, it's, with, with the, without, the, without the right opportune guidance, it's going to end badly. And for furlong, it ended badly. It just happened that in this case, um, it was a role for which, and now I'm saying this only half-jokingly, he didn't really have to act that much. He just had to go be himself and pretty much just have somebody just tell him what to say. He might as well have had somebody hanging over his shoulder, kind of directing him on a prank call. It's just say this, say this, say, say this. And all day he gets to hang out with Arnold effing Schwarzenegger.
3: Yeah. um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Gets to, gets to watch Linda Hamilton. Make a 250 plus pound plus pound actor her bitch. Um, he he's in the coolest environment in the world. Shit's blowing up. Guns are go. Guns are going, are going off. He's living the life, of Riley. Um, but at the same time, he he has nobody telling him how to keep it in perspective. Um, and it just so happened though that in this one instance, it was basically. That that crucible was just the right, you know, kind of methody, sort of set of ingredients that it needed to be.
0: You know, if they hear you say Uh, that, that that speaks to how they basically wasted that character then, and why John, you know, and why I continue to say that John is a weak character because, I mean, you know, to a degree, I agree with you. A lot of the dialogue that he is given is. And again, Pooch, there's some executive, you know, some street writer who thinks this is the way kids talk, but just say this, this will make you sound like an obnoxious kid. And that's, I guess, what we want here. There was an opportunity to tell the story of a child scarred by his, you know, by his mother, raising him among gun runners, you know, and people teaching him how to fight for a cause he had he knew nothing about. There's, there's an opportunity for pathos there. There's an opportunity for for intrigue, and it was wasted because they were like, here, let's get some cute kids to the troubled past in this movie, and that should that should suffice." Because because really all all people came here to see was Schwarzenegger blow things up. And yeah. this, that's the frustrating thing to me about about a lot of Hollywood decision making is is like we don't have to put a lot of energy or time into scripts and the characters because you know, you've already baited the hook and the hook is just the other thing. You know, I said this last night. The reason why I think Terminator Genesis bombed part of it this weekend was exactly that. It's, it doesn't really matter that Jai Courtney can't act or, 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 you know, that our plot makes no sense. People just want to come see Arnie blow stuff up. And, and they said this in 2015, mm. <laughs> where he's no longer a mm. relevant actor. Um, but, you know, if you want to hear me... Some-
2: well... Let me, let, me, let me just speak you on that think, real uh, quick, because that was my second thing. That was my second thing. Edward Furlong's still, still kicking it, all right? If you are as Trekkie, my friends, if you guys enjoy Star Trek, Star Trek Renegades will at least, and I don't know if he's going to be, the, I doubt he's going to be the star, but he will be in Star Trek Renegades, the TV movie, uh, apparently as a character by the name of Fixer. So just when you guys watch that, if you're a Trekkie, Edward Furlong's in there somewhere.
1: I am going to be, I, and then when I watch it, I'm going to be praying that he has a shiny red shirt.
2: <laughs> it could have been. All right, so Terminator 3 uh,
0: comes out in 2003. This is 12 years later, and this definitely suffers from the more dinosaurs issue. First of all, <laughs> not, in, not in the movie at all. So, uh, this is you know they they take the sh- because she's not in the movie for whatever the reasons are they they move the shift away from well, the interesting character what, what, what happened was
1: characters. linda hamilton linda hamilton turned the role down um okay. they yeah. actually they they actually had a part written for her, but what happened was she read it and as she said in interviews she felt that the character's the character's arc was complete Um, She dies halfway through it. She didn't really add anything, so she said thanks, but no thanks. In my opinion, she read this turkey and went, fuck no, this is going to suck. So
0: um, the the shift moves from her to John, who, as I said, is not an interesting character. And when when I say this suffers from more dinosaurs, this is, again, one of those things where some people are sitting around a table and going, okay, why do people go see Terminator movies? Well, they go to see Arnold, okay? And they go to see uh, t- robots blowing themselves up. And yeah. that may be, you know, on the surface, what people see when they, when they see these movies. But when you actually sit down and watch them, there's a lot more going on, as we've discussed. But this movie lacks mm-hmm. all of that. This movie, and again, when I say more dinosaurs, it's like, okay, um... Here, you know. Let, let us assume no one saw the first two movies. <laughs> Let's give them mm-hmm. more of the same, only bigger and better. So instead of having a guy Terminator, we'll have a girl Terminator, and this one will have even more magic than the last one. She'll be able to, you know, she'll have weapons, yeah. and she'll,
1: she'll be a transformer.
0: She, you know, so here's on, a I don't know.
1: <laughs> here's a here's a little something curious to think about, and then kind of uh, let us know how this bakes your ZD. Um, in Terminator 2, we got a little pissant juvenile delinquent that they found at a boys and girls club, and managed to rein in just long enough for him to shoot a major blockbuster in what was more or less a pretty effect, a pretty effective role. Um, definitely served the purpose that he that he needed, and you know for as much shit as we just gave him, you got to admit, uh, pretty impressive for a first timer. Um, so, non-actor. This movie, um, because, uh, uh, Eddie loved the drugs and the drugs loved him, uh, we instead stall as John Connor. So, we get an actual actor who puts in what I think kind of resembles effort, and, (laughs) <laughs> and, and God, by the end of the first act, you would actually kind of miss Furlong.
2: <laughs>
1: <Ugh>. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, um, I, which, which I believe now, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, this may be kind of a cursed role because I seem to remember that a few years ago, wasn't there something like a scare where Nick Stahl had, had gone missing and he was found, like, wasn't he living on the streets of Los Angeles or something? Like, basically homeless? Wow. So, somebody somebody looked this up, because I could have sworn that was what that was what happened. Because I, I remember there were a couple days where that was a big story, like Nick Saul missing. Or I may be thinking of somebody else. Well, I, can I could tell have sworn you, I mean, that was who it was. When I watched this
2: movie today, because I watched it you know, right before I got on here, um, I was... Scratching my head as to who the hell the guy was. I've never seen him in anything else that remotely made me go, "Oh shit, that's so and so."
1: He was, but, in, I believe, he was in Sin City.
2: Yes, uh, and so I'm going through the filmography now, and I yes. see that he was in, he was in that, and he was in Thin Red Line at some point. Um, but uh, uh, again, not not a not an actor that I'm extremely uh, aware of, and. I don't even know if I'd recognize him today, to be honest. Of course, you know, his biggest <laughs> – I mean, uh, I'd say his biggest thing under his belt in my eyes would be Terminator 3. I can't even remember what he did in Sin City. Was it something
1: uh, – I, I believe he was – I believe he was the younger Rourke, um, the son, the one who became uh, the Yellow Bastard. I think okay. – that's, I think that's who he was. I think that's who. I think that's who he played. If you yeah, look at his filmography and, and it says he played, um, uh, someone named Rourke, then that's who he was.
2: Yeah, Rourke um,
1: Jr. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, I which I got a hand to him actually. That was, that was a pretty good performance. Um, because, uh, he had to really play a kitty raping psychopath, uh, through a whole lot of makeup. Um, and he, he did a pretty nice little job. I, I gotta hand it to him, credit where it's due. There, but God, in this movie, in this movie, I, I missed a little mop-haired <laughs> Um, um I, I've been thinking, about those, does Betty Ford have like an express package you could have shoved him through? Because. Um, uh, God in heaven, he is not carrying this movie where he needs to. Um, Also, um, funny thing, uh, there was actually a lot of uh, quick cast boogie going on here because uh, Claire Dane, who plays Kate Brewster, was also kind of haphazardly shoved into the film because the studio execs decided prior to production that the original first choice, Sophia Bush, was just too young for the role. No, nothing... Scandalous or anything, or anything there. Just now you want someone a little bit older, and I don't. I I don't know if there was really an extensive uh, casting process to uh, how the chick from Blood Rain made it into the movie. Their names. Um, Oh no, I was talking about Cristiano Logan. Oh okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. thank merciful Christ, there there were some top notch actors in Blood Rain that made me go, what the fuck did you end up in this? What what kind of what kind of funko did that mildly retarded crowd feed you to get you to sign on the dotted line? But uh, oh, thankfully, thankfully uh, the ingenue of my so-called life and numerous other great movies. Um, no, uh, not 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 a part of Uva Bowl's Citizen Kane. Oh man, Uwe 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 Uwe, whatever
2: <laughs> Uwe Bowl. Um, okay, before before Mark brings us back on track, because I know he's just itching to do so. Bit of movie trivia for you here, Sean. Okay, you ready? Yes.
1: Fire um, away, mon ami.
2: <laughs> we got three Terminator movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger yes, has been in all three. Okay, this is a fact. Yes, he There's has. another character that's been in all three. Do you know which character that is?
1: Hmm. I am interested. Who is this other the psychologist.
2: character? The psychologist. the psychologist. There you go. Really? really? Yep. Yep. All that. I, uh, I never uh, noticed
0: that. Yeah, he has kind of a, so, like uh, a cameo uh, type role in, the third, in this third one where he, he walks up to Claire Danes. And he's like a trauma counselor now and uh, then Schwarzenegger
2: walks out with a casket on his shoulder, and he makes a fucking run for it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he get the hell out. Now, my question real quick. Does he show up in Genesis?
0: No. Um, ah, damn. No, it. but they have J.K. Simmons. Uh, I, I can't even say it's like, in that role. I thought that's where they were going with that character, but they go in the opposite direction.
4: Uh,
1: yeah, you see, you see, including just that little bit more of ties to the original would have maxed out the blast processing. <laughs> yeah, can't, right, you so can't have you, that. E- <laughs> so, see, sure, Rising Machine of, does what Genesis don't. In the interest of time, because <laughs> uh, I
0: do want to wrap up this show before I fall asleep. Um, so, real, real quick plot synopsis: the the Transformer Poochie TX. Every you know everything everybody gonna, more dinosaur robot uh, gets sent back to kill. Uh, they can't find John Connor because he's gone off the grid. Uh, that's the next stall character they were talking about. So she sent back to kill all of his lieutenants, including his wife, was Claire Danes. Um, uh, they send back the uh, they send back the Terminator to protect her from the from the um, from the TX, uh, John Connor ends up coming out of hiding. Uh, the two, him and Claire Danes, uh, go with the Terminator and end up going on the run together. Though so she thinks she's being kidnapped, uh, they fig- think they, they figure out that her dad is now responsible for the uh, program that will inevitably become Skynet. Uh, they go to stop Skynet from coming online, but it's too late. Um, And basically, her dad tells them, "Go." you know, uh, they believe that he's sending them to, you know, to where Skynet servers are. Turns out he's actually sending them to a bunker for VIPs.
2: Mark, Mark, do you believe that cars can fucking drive themselves after a a TX goes in there? I don't give a shit what future you're from. You're not going to plug into a 1999 or 2000 cop car and a fucking... Uh, fire truck and have it drive itself.
0: This is what I was trying to say about 10 minutes ago. that It was like they looked at Terminator 2 and a little bit of the first one and said okay, let's take the same beats, let's take a lot of the same stuff and just do more of that. Again, oh, yeah. not looking at character, not looking at story, just beats and action sequences and saying okay, this is what people came here for and threw it together. I mean look, I'm going to sum this up in the interest of time. To Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. If you have never seen the first two movies and know nothing about the Terminator lore, is a fine enough action chase movie. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, it's just it, 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 when you put it when you plug it back into the narrative, it's just a ripoff of Terminator Two. It's the same exact movie,
2: only done. Oh yeah, four. just turned up to eleven. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. Now, yeah. now, now here's a question, Here's a question that I wanted to pose to both of you, though. And it's, I, I, I tell you, I was biting my nails when Ben brought it up because I was actually planning on bringing this up just now to help fill in this, this particular segment. Um, both of you, weigh in here. Um, and I'm going to remain completely out of it because I just want to hear what you two have to say. Weigh in on why it, on why it is, seriously, that James Cameron seems to be the only one who can get Terminator right.
2: So now as for, you know, the only thing I can think of is it's it's James Cameron's baby.
1: You know, he is
2: mm-hmm. he he's the maker. He is the maker. He is and then when he gets his hands on that or when he's had his hands on that, you know, he it it looks beautiful. And when any anybody else gets a hold of it, it's like, you know, they they turn it into they try they, you can't say that these people don't try they just don't know what to do with it but we would all sit here and say that you give me that stuff and I'll turn it into the most beautiful gem that has ever placed on the big screen but we what we may end up finding out is that it could be all for naught it'd be a lot it could also be a big too many hands in the pot too many too many cooks in the kitchen you get a lot of people saying uh, they come in and say, "No, oh, no, that won't work, that won't work," and then you got you know fucking big ass crane going down the street, destroying buildings somehow. Um, that's my theory, Mark.
0: I don't think anybody else understands the Terminator movies. I think they think they do. I think they see uh, they see the movie and they and they make assumptions like, oh, you know, action sequences, you know cars flipping up in the air uh they don't i mean studio executives are not literature people they're not sitting there scrutinizing these films and you know like we are breaking them down and looking at what makes them speak to the audience they're they're looking at spreadsheets they're looking at numbers and that's it That, that that's what's driving them um you know i said this last night I said, people aren't going to see a lot of the, you know, new and interesting movies that are out there, you know, Tomorrowland bombed. So they look at what's already made money and they're assuming it's making money. They they make assumptions about why it does, you know, Arnold's in it, whatever. And then they say, okay, go, go and do that. You know, this is why I laugh at, you know, like the idea of a new Ghostbusters movie, because I mean, how that conversation could have possibly gone like oh well you know that was that was ghostbusters was popular back in the 80s I'm, I'm sure it will be again and people will go see it and that's it that's as much thought as that's put into it you know we we've 2 hours ago we started this conversation about what made the terminator the original terminator movie speak to american audiences the way that it did but they don't ever do that and they don't hire people who speak up and, and, and talk about it <laughs> so that's your answer. Unfortunately, if you happen to get people working on a movie who really put some thought into things, you know, you look at Marvel Studios, and you know, not everyone loves the Marvel movies, but I would tell you that the Marvel movies seem to handle um, you know, real human emotions and you know, problems going on in the world as well as they possibly can while telling a fun narrative. They're not perfect. But I would say that you know Marvel Marvel's got people working on them that put care and craft into their movies. I can't say that for a lot of other movie studios. It's just one cash grab after another.
1: I mean, and but when it comes to this movie, what do we really, what do we really add to it at this point? Because I mean, it's it's a movie that the whole idea is unlike Terminator Two, which ends on a hopeful note, and the first movie that ends on a very sequel baity note. Um, this one sort of ends on a bit of a downer. Um, in fact, if you were going to really call call any movie Terminator Genesis, this would have been the one the one to do it because the whole thing well, let, ends. Let me, let me jump
0: in here. Let me let me jump in here. The movie was supposed to set up this guy who has become an outcast, living off the grid, afraid mm-hmm. of his own uh, afraid of his own future, and have him step into his own. And have him, you know, mm-hmm. embrace the hero that he was always meant to be. And we've seen that story. We've seen that story mm-hmm. told a thousand times. But we've yeah. also seen it told much better. That's that's the, the ultimate failure of this movie. Is that's what they were going for? They just, you know, he's not. The character isn't interesting. His journey isn't interesting. There's there's not a lot. I mean, Schwarzenegger does all the work basically and he, he doesn't do anything, you know. So his one moment where he, where he you know, claims the hero within is he grabs a microphone and introduces himself. Like, that's it. Uh, yeah, that's yeah.
1: Up- well, yeah, because as, as we find out at the end, um, the nuclear missiles have started raining down all over the globe outside of the fallout shelter, which um, Kate and John initially thought was the core of Skynet. Um, and as the distress calls start, start coming in, uh, they have kind of a, a little take charge moment together. And that, that's pretty much where the movie ends. It, and, then roll, and then roll credits. Um, except this one was not improved by a director's cut ending. <laughs> um, but uh, otherwise, Mark, you really summed it up pretty well when you pointed out that it's just, it's a generic chase movie that's all it that's all this might as well have been an asylum knockoff of a Terminator movie because you're getting all the slam bang action, which I will concede once more looks fantastic, but you're also getting none of the meat of the character development, um, that you should get with something that's picking up after Terminator two. Um, Because, yeah, it sounds like a promising enough premise. It's just that everybody misses that James Cameron um, wove all that action in with actually watching people and one machine um, develop and evolve over the course of the events that befall them, and again we're we're getting a hero's journey tale, but it's nothing that feels thing. Once more, call to action, descent into hell, and I guess you could say he kind of becomes master of two worlds because you know, he he's not so much striding um, the mundane and the extraordinary. Um, as it is just the fact that, you know, he's, he's experienced the past, he's lived with kind of the prophecy, so to speak, and now he's living the future that was, that was predicted, and he's embraced it. It kind of reminds but, me of The Sword in the Stone.
0: Um, if you've ever seen the Disney animated version of it. Uh, uh, yeah. Arthur,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, author, that's a good comparison. I hadn't thought of that.
0: Arthur pulls the sword out of the stone, on a whim, basically, like just completely, like out of nowhere, he, you know, he happened, you know, it, it's, if you, if you, if anyone hasn't seen it, um, he's left Kay's equipment or whatever back at the castle. And so he's like, got to find his sword really quick. So he happens to grab the sword and the stone. He doesn't realize what the significance of that is. And he's the only, and he's able to pull it out. I'm like, where'd you get the sword from? I got it from the stone. He's oblivious to what he's just done. And you know, and so he's made king. to, to kind of fast forward here. And you if know, you look at him sitting on the throne, if you look at him sitting on the throne, the king, the, the crown doesn't fit. It's like falling over his eyes. The the <clears> fur <throat> that he's wearing is too big. The, the the throne itself is just swallowing him whole. It's like, you're like yeah, you're king now. I was like, I didn't mean to be.
4: was
1: <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to
0: be. And I and it, well, it, it, it just doesn't fit. Well, and,
1: um, uh, my advice. Um, some of the better aspects of Kyle Rayner's run as a Green Lantern. And you kind of sort of get the same, get the same thing just with much better storytelling. I can't believe I just recommended Kyle Rayner to somebody. Jesse,
0: Vernic
2: <laughs> Desires, go.
1: Uh, Terminator 3,
2: very I can't really do anything but echo what you've said, where it's very much double. It's like they should have just skipped it and made it Terminator 4 because it's two times of what Terminator 2 was. Um, you got, you got car, we, we, we got a, a, a semi-truck exploding in Terminator 2. Well, now we've got a Terminator-driven uh, crane that's uh, just wreaking havoc upon the world. Not only do we have one person, in Terminator 2, struggling with the fact that they are, of what their destiny is. In Terminator 3, we're going to make it two people. And we're also going to fuck with you and and, uh, make it a love story because now he has to deal with the fact that she's going to be his, that's going to be his wife. Really, there isn't much of a love story there. But, again, they've got at some point, they're going to become husband and wife and the Terminator just decides to let them know about it. Um, And, Hey, Terminator 2, the T1000, all he could do was stab people. I mean, so that's that's the best he could do. Terminator 3, the TX, they can actually shoot. They can actually shoot weapons. Um, so again, it's just turn it up to 11. Put Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, and uh, there's your summer blockbuster. I don't even know if this came out in summer, but I assume that it did because it uh, it definitely had that feel to it. Um, but I watched it again today. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's not like I hated it or anything but it was it pales in comparison that's all I have to say Terminator
0: 3 almost rises to the level of destruction porn and that's not what the Terminator <laughs> movies are not, yeah. that yeah. that's really the little horror. That, that's, my horror. that's my summation that's my summation of the Terminator trilogy is there's more going on here than you know than Michael Bay blowing things up so, and I, and I, Michael I Bay or Michael, Michael Bay? <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> so with that said, that ends our discussion of the Terminator trilogy. Um, again, salva- you know, th- this was a setup for Salvation, and Salvation was supposed to be the beginning of a new trilogy that was supposed to be post-Judgment Day. Um, but again, you know, whether the studio just doesn't understand what people want in these movies or... You know, they, they just, you know, they, they do, but they made a bad movie, and there was no recovering from it. Uh, the, the, the idea of a new trilogy died after salvation, and so they went back to the well again, and they brought all the old characters back, and they made Terminator Genesis. And If you'd like to hear my thoughts on Genesis, go back into the archives and check out our review from uh, yesterday here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network.